Welcome back to another episode of A Cup of Joel with your host, Meg Tilton. Today we talk about what the movie, The Life of Pi, has in common with the scriptures. This is the ACAL Life, a place where LDS women, and really any woman, can come to learn how every aspect of their life is beautiful and has purpose. A place to help you realize how important you are and that this place we call Earth just wouldn't be the same without you. So sit back and take a breather in that unfolded laundry and let's chat for a moment about your amazing life. Welcome back to this month's episode of A Cup of Joel. I'm excited that you are all here today and able to partake of Joel's wisdom once again. So today we are talking about the movie, The Life of Pi, and the relation to that 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 movie has with the scriptures. And I will preface this discussion by saying that the first time I kind of heard about this, what Joel was saying, it kind of through my brain for a little bit of a loop. So just give it time, be a little bit patient with it because I think he has some really good points. We talk about this this similarity and um, the parallels of the movie and the scriptures. And then we also get into some good discussions about um, leaders of the church and how we really need to view them. And I think that that was very um, beneficial for me, at least. So I hope that it's beneficial for you. And we kind of end on a funny note where we talk about the new Star Wars movie that was just released this last December. So I hope you all sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of A Cup of Joel as much as I enjoyed recording it with Joel. All right. Have a great Sabbath. Welcome back to the podcast this week, Joel. How are you doing? Well, hello, Megan. Uh, How's your January treating you? I understand You've had some bitter cold weather there in St. Louis. True or false? Uh, definitely true. It's been very cold. So not, I actually kind of like it because I like to be in my home and warm and cozy. But when you're out at the school bus stop with your kids, it's not particularly fun. I mean, for our listening (laughs) audience, when I say bitter cold, I'm talking like five degrees. Oh, it was zero one day with negative 18 wind chill. Minus 18 windshield. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. But, you know, I just wrote an uh, email to people that are on my subscription list. Uh-huh. And um, I was talking about that very day because school was canceled on that day. and um, Because of the cold? Yeah. Okay. I think they have to, like, if it's a windshield of negative 15, they cancel. So it was negative 18. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, a lot of people complain about the weather, but... One thing that I really like that Greg has like kind of instilled in me, he's like, we're like in the middle of the United States. Yeah. There's like a whole half of the United States further north. And then there's an entire country yes. further <laughs> north than that. So yes. I should be really grateful for my negative 18 because it could be negative 60. Having being married to somebody. Yes, a Canadian. country north of us. <laughs> yes. Um, she would say in elementary school, uh, letter went home to all the parents that said as long as the the, remember there's celsius up there as long as the temperature is zero or higher we will go outside to play right in recess yeah and if it was minus anything they never canceled school yeah 
got your rear end to school. <laughs> well, you just wouldn't go outside. Well, when I was younger, I lived in Minnesota, and they got tons of snow. I never yeah. remember school being canceled. Right. And we would we would go out and sled down this huge yes. hill behind my elementary school. There was trees everywhere. I'm sure I would love to know if they still do it because I'm sure it's a huge liability. But, like, we would all wear all of our snow gear yeah. and go outside and play yeah, for go. recess. The good old days. You'll be one of those grandmas that bores your grandkids. Yeah, like, like I remember when I went Oops. outside. Outside in the snow, both uphill both ways. Yeah, so it can be... It can be cold, but they cancel school here. We're kind of wimps in Missouri, so. Well, well, yeah. A discussion for another day about do we coddle our young or not. Uh, Yes, we don't have to have a discussion about it. (laughs) Okay. There you go. I just lost half of our listenership again. That's right. That's right. Helicopter parents. That's right. We are all helicopter parents. (laughs) Okay, so we are talking about Life of Pi today, which I did watch last yes. night. Yes. So that I was Spoiler alert to our listening audience. <laughs> we will be revealing some of the ending of that movie. So Yeah. I have to tell you, Joel, that movie is traumatizing for me. Oh, do tell. I um it's just so heart wrenching in some ways. Like well, sure. so sad. Yes. You know, that what happens, yes. he went through that and had to witness some of that. And yes. I have to like emotionally like prepare myself. That's probably why it took me an entire month to sit down and finally watch it. Like, I'm like, I have to watch it because I'm talking to Joel tomorrow. But yeah, I mean, the cinematography, though, is beautiful. Uh, yes. Beautifully done. Yes. So for that alone, I think it's worth it. And Greg was like, is that a real tiger? Because that looks... I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I am sure that's not a real yeah. tiger. Yes. But they did a great job, so... Well, th- this trauma that you felt and, and why Pi had to not talk about his mom and the mean cook and the injured sailor, but yeah. instead talk about an orangutan and a zebra and a tiger, whatever they were, is exactly what we're going to talk about today. Okay. Exactly what we're going to talk about today. Because when I saw that movie... Um, I had another one of my epiphanies, mm-hmm. Megan, another one of my revelations. I love Joel epiphanies. They're that's amazing. That's right. That's right. Not about the word of wisdom and my mom <laughs> eating lunch at Belk's. It's a different epiphany, but still it was a, an epiphany, a, a revelation. I realized I had all the answers. Ha, ha, ha. And it came to me while watching that crazy movie, Life of Pi. Um, and I never read the book. Mm-hmm. I read a third of the book, and I, it just didn't get to me. I was bored. <laughs> I put it down and never picked it up again. Mm-hmm. But the movie got all these accolades, and I watched the movie late, and uh, said, okay, what's, I'll give it a second chance. And I was just enthralled, enchanted by this epiphany, this revelation. I better not use the word revelation. I'm going to use epiphany. Okay. I, um, first of all, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie in a while, go listen to the opening credits. That woman who sings. Yeah, it's beautiful. I've never heard. Oh my gosh, that voice. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to this epiphany I had. At the end of the movie, Pi is explaining to the reporters, or to the one reporter, about these two Japanese insurance dudes who were in his hospital room. And they needed the story so they could fill out their reports. And right, because he had been in a shipwreck. Yes. And had 
had to be on the sea for a long time. That's right. And had finally gotten to Mexico and washed up on the shore, and they'd found him, and so... That's right. And they now, needed all that in their report. Right, because they were the owners of that shipping company, they and they wanted to the know why it went down. That's right. Why mm-hmm. it went down and, wh- and what happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. And and no one, I mean, these, these Japanese guys said, no one's going to accept a story about a boy in a boat with a tiger and a zebra and a monkey. Mm-hmm. So then... Pi gave them the bare facts. It was Pi in a boat with his mom and a mean chef and an injured sailor. So I mean, most of the movie is Pi telling them the story with the zebra and the monkey and the tiger. But then at the very end, he says, okay, it really was my mom, a mean chef, and an injured sailor. And then Pi says to the reporter, which version do you believe? And that was my epiphany. The factual story did not convey the despair, the dread, the anger, the emotions of that voyage and all that happened to him, which is what you experienced as well, Meg, when you saw the movie. Mm-hmm. The, the version of the story with the tiger and the zebra and the monkey conveyed what Pi wanted to convey. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow. Perhaps some Book of Mormon stories that my teacher tells to me are <laughs> pie stories. Mm-hmm. Could it be that some Old Testament and New Testament stories are pie stories? That as they are written, is it literally word for word as they played out? Mm-hmm. But we're getting monkey and zebra and tiger versions as mm-hmm. opposed to chef and sailor and mom versions. And we have some precedent for this, a modern day precedent for this. We all know the great talk by Hubie Brown mm-hmm. when he was trimming that current bush. Mm-hmm. And uh, what would be the backstory for those who haven't heard the Hubie Brown story is uh, Hubie Brown was Canadian and was in line to get this great promotion in the Canadian military, which he completely deserved, mm-hmm. but he did not get. Mm-hmm. Perhaps because of his religion, but he just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Very depressing. And he had remembered earlier in his life, he was trimming in his yard this bush. And this bush had been overgrown and become like a tree. And he was whacking it back down. Hubie Brown wanted it to be a bush. Mm-hmm. And the bush talked to him in his mind and said, what are you doing? I, I'm a great, big, awesome tree. And Hubie Brown's like, Oh, you were meant to be a bush. I'm going to make you a bush. That's what you, that's your highest and best use. Mm -hmm. So we forgot about that crazy story with the bush until years later when he did not get this promotion with the military. Mm -hmm. And then the Holy Ghost, Heavenly Father said to him, I'm the gardener here. Remember earlier the bush? Now you're the bush, you be brown. You thought you were going to be a military general. No, I have other plans for you. Mm-hmm. I know your highest and best use, which of course is to be an apostle. So I kind of thought, Joel, perhaps some Book of Mormon and Bible stories are like this. They're not always literal. Some are, mm-hmm. but some are not. Some may never have happened. But to convey the message that Heavenly Father wants to convey, they are presented to us as what I call pie stories. Okay. Um, 
This, Megan, is stunning insight that you and your listeners would pay thousands of dollars for. (laughs) I'm excited to hear which ones you think are pie stories. Oh, my goodness. Please don't go there. The problem (laughs) is, I don't know which stories are pie stories and which stories are literal. As I share this epiphany with others, as as I share what I've just shared with you and our listeners, and I stop right there, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised at the agreement I get among most people. Mm-hmm. They, they actually do buy into that. Yeah, yeah, okay, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. The father would use imagery. I mean, he'd do it with parables. Jesus did with parables all the time. Right. So perhaps some stories that we take as quite literal and factual may not have conveyed out the way we thought. And in fact, you know, Mormon says that the Book of Mormon is an abridgment of the plates. Well, what's the definition of abridgment? Stuff got taken out. Mm-hmm. Stuff got condensed. Stuff had to be edited. You couldn't take a thousand years worth of history mm-hmm. and condense it into a 535-page book mm-hmm. without doing some significant whacking. Mm-hmm. Anyway, most people are okay <laughs> with that. Right. But, um, I mean, of course, I have some Book of Mormon stories and Bible stories that I think are pie stories, which I'm happy to share with you. Yes, I'd love but, to hear them. Well, but as I share them with others, that's when the fights start. Mm-hmm. And some people go, yeah, 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 I agree with you. And others go, no, this story really happened. Right. <laughs> well, what do you think the purpose of doing that was? The life of pie, like I'm like, to live on a boat with a tiger for months on end. I don't know how long he was out there. Right. Like, that's pretty unbelievable in some ways because, like, he's not strong enough. The tiger really would have eaten him if he wanted to. That's correct. I haven't come across a story in the scriptures, really, per se, but I guess it's because I believe in miracles in some ways, you know? So, like, the parting of the Red Sea, that's kind of unbelievable in some ways. But then I'm like, well, but God can do anything, right? So Always. Yes, that's the trump card, isn't it? God right. can do anything. Therefore, any story in the scriptures can actually literally be true. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, a, a current Bush literally did not talk to Hubie Brown. Mm-hmm. If you had been there beside him while he was pruning, you would not have heard a voice from a bush. Mm-hmm. All that played out in his head. But I can see, you know, a thousand years from now, as that story is orally passed on from generation to generation, Perhaps it gets twisted just a little and someone says, oh, no, it really happened. He mm-hmm. really heard a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he did really hear a voice in his head, but the bush wasn't talking out loud. Mm-hmm. We throw out some crazy examples, which isn't the focus of our chat today. Okay. But it gives us some context to make some, some broader points. Okay. These are just Joel's points, Joel's stories that he questions. He does have a testimony, all <laughs> the qualifiers. You know. Yes, yes. The first one is a classic one, Nephi cutting off Laban's head. You know, too many Lord of the Ring movies have us all believing it's just oh so easy to slice off an entire human or orc head or limb. You just one stroke and whoop, the head just rolls off, you know. Well, not so. We're just talking about a serious, serious hack job with blood going everywhere if he indeed cut off a human head. Yes, I have thought of that because I'm like, he wore his clothes. Like, I know that that's not like a super clean job to have having done that. So then I think, well, maybe he stripped him first and then cut off his head. Right. Uh, Maybe he never cut off his head to begin with. Maybe that's a pie story. 
but to convey the angst of having to kill this man. Nephi used angst imagery. I, I don't know. I, I wasn't there, and it could so have happened think, just like I said. Do you think that David cut off Goliath's head? Well, I, I, I'm, another example. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, another example, Jesus fasting 40 days, literally 40 days. I am sure he fasted a long time, but I think he'd be dead if he fasted water and food for 40 days. Or if it's be in a coma, if he fasted without water and food for that long. Maybe 40 days got translated through the years and really what it, the original intent was, Jesus fasted for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Maybe 40 days isn't as literal as, but maybe it was. <laughs> Example number next. He is part God. I just want to yeah, throw that well, in. Agreed, 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 agreed. <laughs> uh, the Jaredites built these barges with holes in the top and the bottom so the occupants could have air no matter which side was up. Mm-hmm. All right, I've got no problem that, that with Heavenly Father being able to design a cork that could stick in these upper and lower holes so that there'd be no leakage. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, wait a minute, you know, four out of five sailors don't recommend a hole in the bottom of your boat with or without a cork. What's the only purpose of a hole in the bottom of a boat? Well, if the boat were to flip 180 degrees, now that hole's at the top, so you can still get air. A boat flipping 180 degrees? Hello, am I the only one who saw the Poseidon adventure? You'd have animals and seeds and people flipping in a boat over and over again. Are you kidding me? I, I just can't imagine that possibly happening. Literally. Yeah, that is a that is a hard one for me to always believe because I'm like, you'd have to like have people strapped in like they're going to the moon. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. like in five point point, point harnesses, yes, you yes, know, yes, like, yes. okay, well, I wonder if it was more like a submarine. Well, yeah, but still, there's a hole in the bottom of your boat for the only purpose of getting air in case you got flipped. Hmm. Submarines don't flip. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, anyway, anyway, <laughs> another example, Jonah being in this whale for three days. You know, he, he was in the th- whale for three days. Can you survive with all the stomach acids and bleaching you for three days? Well, sure you can. Heavenly Father, like you said, can make anything happen. But there's not enough air in a whale's stomach mm-hmm. to keep you alive for three days. I mean, whale stomachs, while they're large, are they as large as a human man? Um, is there enough breathable air? When he came out, was there any skin left on him? Who knows? Uh, you know the story of that talking donkey in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. Like, please, you know, to me, that really is like a current bush. And right. donkey ain't talking out loud for all the people to hear. Um, and of course, the other big one that, you know, people debate about all the time is the validity of the flood being mm-hmm. worldwide. Um, I don't have a problem with the flood story from the water point of view. Yes, God could easily flood the whole earth. My problem has to do with the size of the boat and all the species of animals that are on the planet today, unless God repopulated the earth with a whole bunch of species of animals after the flood, there's no way that boat could have held all the varieties of animals and insects around today. There's a quarter of a million varieties of spiders alone, let alone every other kind of insect. The fish, of course, had a field day during the flood, (laughs) free reign. 
but everybody else, I, I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Interesting. Uh, anyway, Megan, the, the bigger point of why we're ruining all of our testimonies of our listeners today isn't whether each of these stories is true or not, because um, we, I just don't know. But, but my point is this, is, is I had this epiphany. Mm-hmm. The scriptures, I mean, true or false, Megan, the scriptures were not intended to be a history book. True. They're intended to be a, a book of, to convey spiritual meaning to us, mm-hmm. but they have to use historical stories to convey those meanings. Mm-hmm. So my testimony isn't shattered if some of these stories don't play out to be literally true. Mm-hmm. If you were to take some sophisticated metal detectors that haven't been invented yet and go up there to the Great Lakes and try to look for remnants of those great Nephite Lamanite battles at the very end of the Book of Mormon, and you came up with nothing. My testimony would not be shattered at all because I'm not entirely convinced those battles took place at that location. Mm -hmm. uh, Another example is our culture permeates the truth of some stories that may not be true. Heck, you know, for a long time, we all thought, you know, the modern-day Lamanite went from the tip of North America to the tip of South America and everybody in between. All the indigenous populations were all Lamanites. In fact, some intro language in our Book of Mormon said that. Mm-hmm. Well, DNA testing and others tests have kind of proven, well, that's not really the case. Don't have to believe in carbon dating all you want. You don't have to believe in DNA testing all you want. But the church actually went back and changed some of that language, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, we're not going to say every single native South American and North American were Lamanites. Right. Just some of them were. Right. And perhaps the whole Nephite story doesn't extend through all of North and South and Central America, or perhaps it's just limited to a few hundred square miles in Central America. We mm-hmm. just don't know. Mm-hmm. So those of us who base our testimonies on Book of Mormon stories and biblical stories may be in for a rough ride. Mm-hmm. As science and other things disprove various aspects of these stories that we've perpetuated through our letter and say culture mm-hmm. all these years. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point that it's really the doctrine and the principles that he's trying to teach. The story is kind of irrelevant in some ways in terms yes. of what the story is. Yes. It's just like, are you going to implement these principles that I'm teaching in the story yes. into your life and use them today? That, I think, is the key message that mm-hmm. Heavenly Father would want to say. Your testimony cannot be grounded in the story, nor can your testimony be grounded in the lives of my servants, because President Monson was not a perfect man. So your testimony better not be in how President Monson lived his life, because you will find flaws, mistakes. You'll find him snapping at people. I don't know what he did, but you know, right? Joseph Smith, heck, look at that guy's life. You're going to run screaming into the night when you see everything that happened to that poor guy. Right. and his reactions right. testimony has to be in the spiritual side of things that's the point of all of this we have an article of faith entirely dedicated to this very premise mm-hmm. we believe the book of mormon to be the word of god boom 
we believe the Bible the way we read the Word of God as far as it's translated correctly. But the article of faith doesn't tell us what's translated correctly and what's not translated correctly. True. You know, it's up to us to kind of discern that on our own with the gift of the Holy Ghost, as you said. Mm-hmm. So let the Holy Ghost be your guide. And don't get yes. all bent out of shape if the flood was regional and not worldwide. Or right. Those battles didn't occur like we think they occurred. Well, and I think, too, I mean, there's so much that even in the last 100 years, 200 years, even in the last five years are taken out of context in like in our present day, just in our present day history, not even in the church per se, but um, just media and news. Like, you know, half the time I'm like, I don't know who to believe. (laughs) Like, who do I believe? Like, you're telling me this story on this side, and you're telling me that story on the other side. And people gravitate towards the one that resonates with them the most, right? And so that's what you're going to believe and what you're going to follow and what you're going to do. Correct. Yes. You know, uh, let me make a bold statement, Meg, and you can can push back. Okay. We we perpetuate, I think, to our detriment in Latter-day Saint culture, this notion of perfection in our leaders and we've sanitized some of our history because we have to assumption that all the words from all of our prophets and all the actions were always inspired wow well maybe news memo newsflash maybe they weren't Mm -hmm. well i think that if we because we do make a really bold claim that our church is the only true church on the earth right and so in some ways i can see how we gravitate towards that because in terms of wanting perfection because if it's god's true church well then it's going to be perfect right yes but that always comes back to the thing like, yeah, the gospel is perfect, yes. but the people are not perfect. Imperfect people are trying to do the best they can. And yeah. As Udor said, mistakes are made. Well, and I read something really um, interesting that kind of stuck with me recently. I don't know where I heard it, but somebody said basically God like is a God that wants us to make mistakes. Like he expects us to make mistakes. That's all part of the plan. That's why the plan is set up the way that it is, is for us to make mistakes. And the thing too is, I mean, we look at the account of Christ and his apostles, right? They weren't perfect. Those apostles clearly weren't perfect. Right. I mean, Peter denied him, right? And yes. Judas Judas betrayed him. Yes. Like, yes. and he clearly got apostles that had lived kind of questionable lives beforehand and we even read about that in the book of mormon i mean alma the younger i can only imagine what that guy was doing but you know he was able to change and do i think he maybe still struggled with those things even when he was a prophet yes i do yes so we do do a huge detriment to ourselves in putting perfection this is a big, this could be a topic for a whole other day, but I really think it's one of our biggest hindrances in the gospel for really growing more in the gospel is that we don't allow and accept and anticipate and expect people to make mistakes Correct. and have that be okay. I had a, I was at a state conference. I don't remember I heard this. I should be able to document the source. I'm going to speak it for myself, although I didn't come up with this. But somebody said, you know, the church 
had its Palmyra period and its Kirtland period and its Nauvoo period and now it's Salt Lake period. And all of us today are used to the Salt Lake period where everything's polished and clean. There's processes in place. But our church didn't walk out of the sacred grove looking like that. We had to evolve through some rough periods. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father didn't give Joseph a handbook of instructions. We had to learn on our own how to Mm -hmm. be who we are today. So Mm -hmm. as the church goes into new countries, we have to kind of expect them to have their own Palmyra and Nauvoo and Kirtland periods. They just can't be Salt Lake from the Mm get-go. U.S. found this out after World War II with the, I guess it was the Marshall Plan and the Monroe Doctrine and all that stuff. You couldn't just photocopy the Declaration of Independence and hand it to all these countries and say, there, be free. They have to evolve like the U.S. had to evolve. Mm-hmm. And then when people convert, Megan, they, they do the same evolution inside their own souls. Mm-hmm. We expect someone to join today and be a Salt Lake person because, hey, the Holy Ghost just inspired you and you got baptized. Mm-hmm. Well, no. They may be Palmyra inside. And some struggles that Nauvoo had to go through and Kirtland had to go through before they, it may be years before they become the Salt Lake Latter-day Saint that you and I are today. Well, speak for yourself. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I just uh, actually came across a link on social media. There was this, I don't remember who his name is. He's a, I think a pretty prominent Mormon blogger. Yeah. And he um, just printed a book about the revolution that's coming within more inside Mormonism. And basically he's like, it's not a revolution of doctrine. It's a revolution of culture where we finally will be okay sitting in church with somebody next to us who's totally tattooed and has earrings everywhere. Um, A return missionary who struggles with pornography, a single mom who, you know, might have a drug problem, you know, all those things and be able to, all sit together and not roll our eyes or, you know, try and shield our children from those kind of people. But he's like, I really think that that revolution needs to happen within the church. And I think that's so fascinating because I think it's true as well. Oh my gosh. And even the next step, not only do we need to be comfortable sitting beside them, we need to be comfortable with them teaching our kids in primary, Mm -hmm. you know, put the tattooed lady in young women mm-hmm. you know, that could be a hard pill for some to swallow because you want your leaders to all be examples mm-hmm. and you got this pro tattoo person is your beehive leader mm-hmm. what message does I say well maybe it's okay mom if I get a tattoo my leader has a thousand of them mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and I mean I, I get like why we kind of adhere to like not having tattoos or multiple tears piercings or things like that. I, I get that to some extent, you know, um, but I mean, it's just an outward version of maybe an imperfection, right? Where we would maybe deem that as an imperfection, but yes. so many of us have inward imperfections that we need to work on more. Oh yeah. And like we're tattooed yeah. all over on the inside with those. Yes. Those. And that, isn't that the, the kicker? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tobacco smells, so we can smell alcohol on your breath when you're teaching my kid in church. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I may have a huge temper. I may smack my wife around. Mm-hmm. Um, there I am teaching your kid in primary, which is worse. Right. Yeah. If, yeah. if all sins had a 
physical odor to them, you know, how, how different would we be? Mm-hmm. Maybe more tolerant. Yeah, I think that's a great. You should write a pie story about that. <laughs> um, I got a. <laughs> since you're talking about Elias bloggers, I've got a little quote I found this, mm-hmm. from this book. One hundred birds taught me to fly. Mm-hmm. By Ashley May Hoyland. Have you heard of her? No, I have not. I haven't heard of her either. <laughs> um, this is not a, a a piece of fiction like a, a plot story. She's LDS. It's, it seems to be musings, you know, her thoughts and, right. and such. Um, and I might even read this book, Christy is, but Christy, the wife, that Canadian, <laughs> uh, read this to me and I thought, hey, this is great for my podcast with Megan. I believe our heavenly parents seek us out wherever we live, whether that be strictly in the mind, in despair and joy, in an office in nature, our heavenly parents seek us out. It's sometimes hard to recognize them or their efforts because we have already written their parts, made up in our minds about what a spiritual life looks like. When prayers don't get answered the way we want them to, it's because our connecting the dots wasn't Heavenly Father's connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. And then we get shattered and we just think, God doesn't love me. He's abandoned me. And he's like, no, I just never said I'd answer your prayer as quickly as you thought I should and in the way you thought I should. Right. I guess we, if we want to summarize today's crazy discussion with a nice, neat package with a pretty bow, I will say this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is hard. It's hard to keep the mm-hmm. commandments. It's, you know, getting and keeping a testimony can be very hard. Mm-hmm. But it's religion that doesn't require the sacrifice of all things, doesn't have the power, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We have to make sure our testimonies are grounded in the spiritual and not in the stories. Mm-hmm. So find out that a story didn't really happen the way we've always thought it did. It doesn't shatter our world. Right. So I mean, I'm making this up, but if we come to find out that Elder Oaks, our new first presidency member, is smoking cigars behind the conference center, <laughs> and Elder Iring is, you know, skimming some funds to pay for the addition on his house. It doesn't shatter our world. It doesn't mean the church isn't true. Right. Our testimonies are grounded in the spiritual through the Holy Ghost and not in the written story or the actions of mortal men, even those who are our leaders. Yes. Yes. I'm sure they would love to hear you say that. It would take a weight off of their back. And if everybody believed you. Just watch Life of Pi. That's all you gotta do. Wrap the movie. Two hours later, you're just fine. All right. So that's great. I think that's a great discussion for today. Do you have anything for us next month to look forward to? Any more movie reviews? Yeah, let's review that horrible movie, The Last Jedi. Am I the only one who hated that movie? Really? I loved it. I know. I'm like, ah, so disappointed. Why were you Uh, disappointed? Oh, my goodness. We had another 35 minutes to talk about this. (laughs) I I didn't know where to begin. First of all, nothing happened. The movie began with a bunch of ragtag rebels running from, I keep calling it the Empire, now it's the First Order, whatever it's called. Right. And it ended with a bunch of ragtag rebels running from them. It's like nothing changed. It's, they're just, it's, it's the same story. I heard it 40 years ago. Well, they're down to one Jedi now. And now they're down to, 
well, yeah, Luke kind of disappeared into a bunch of flakes and floated <laughs> away. And, and the whole Rebel Alliance now fits in the Millennium Falcon. It's like, really? Yeah. This isn't the story I'm wanting to hear. Mm. Okay. And this movie is suffering from what all our whole culture is suffering from, which is political correctness and trying to empower females unrealistically. Mm-hmm. There's no more male role models in Star Wars. They've mm-hmm. all been gutted. And they've sadly replaced them with unrealistic females. We don't mind good females. Princess Leia was a great female role model. But Rey is just perfect. And in the space of, we kind of forget each movie in, in Star Wars time, years pass between each movie. So mm-hmm. there's progression that we get caught up on. The Last Jedi takes place immediately in real time after Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. So Ray, in a matter of just a few days, has gone from the scavenger to this awesome saber-fighting warrior with hardly any training. Mm-hmm. And she's taken on Snook's bodyguards? Come on, it's a pie story. It's a pie, thank you. Okay, now it's a pie story. It's a pie story. She doesn't make Luke had months, if not years, of training with Yoda, and he still got beat by Vader and got his hand cut off. But not Ray. She's had only one and a half lessons with Luke. She can take on anybody, make rocks, rocks float. And that Rose character, she drove me up a wall. Who was Rose? Who was that? The the Asian lady who was with oh, Finn. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like they escape the Casino City. But they're mm-hmm. under this time constraint because they've got to get back to the mothership before it runs out of fuel. So they're on this horse thing. And what does she do outside the city when they're finally free of the bad guy chasing them? She releases the horse thing. So they, <laughs> the horse thing can now be free. Well, she has no idea that there's a ship about to rescue them. Right. For all she knows in the story, they've got now miles to walk back to civilization. Right. And they're going to miss the time deadlines back at the mothership. Right. But no, she's this empowered female who frees horses. <laughs> and then it was worse at the end of the movie when, again, the Empire, I call it, is blasting that big metal hole door mm-hmm. to get at the rebels. Nobody knows that hologram loot. Boy, there's some spoiler alerts. Yes. Sorry, listening audience. I did think that was cool. No one knows. Oh, that Luke is cool. But no one knows that hologram Luke is waiting in the wings mm-hmm. at this point in the movie. All we know is if the Empire blasts a hole in that door, all the rebels are going to be slaughtered. And with that knowledge, Finn does the right thing. He makes a suicide run into the laser beam to blow it up to save everyone. And what does Rose do? Knocks his ship out of the way to end the suicide run. Why? So she could have Finn all to herself. She could say, oh, it's better to fight for those you love instead of against those you hate. Well, based on the knowledge <laughs> that everyone had, she just doomed everyone in that cave to death. Right. She, there was no way they were going to be rescued. It's, it's all, stuff like that. It's a I'm big like, pie story, though. It, it totally is, Joel. Thank you, because I took it literally. Oh, well, don't take it literally. I take all my Book of Mormon stories. 
Literally. It's a total pie story that, you know, God will rescue you. Yes. Right? When all things look dire. Well, thank you, Megan. <laughs> my faith is restored in okay. that horrible movie. Good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> all right. Enough, enough. I thought next time we would have a chat about um, the nature of God. Uh, Joseph Smith said it's the first principle of the gospel to understand the true nature of God. Ooh, I'm excited for this one. Well, and, you know, you know, obviously the first vision is a great example of that. The mm-hmm. first vision helps us understand the true nature of God physically, his mm-hmm. body and him and the Trinity and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what's the true nature of God when it comes to receiving answers to prayers? I thought well, maybe we could sink our teeth into that topic next time. Yeah, around. that'll be great. I, I love that topic. Good. We've talked about Good. it kind of before, I think, so... Well, if we've repeated ourselves, we'll just... Uh, no, no, you and I, like, when you seasons. used to live here. So yeah, not yes, on the podcast. Yes. So Good, 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 good. Yeah. I look forward to that, too. All right. Well, thanks so much, Joel, and we will see you next month. All right. Enjoy your winter. All Bye-bye. right. Bye-bye. Okay, friends. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did and that it kind of opened up your perspective a little bit more and gave you some insight into... Um, just how things might really be or how they might not really be and to be looking for the pie stories in your life. And I hope you all have a great Sunday or whenever you're hearing this, I hope you have a great day. Again, remember that if you ever want to get in touch with us or give us any feedback, we'd love to hear it. And you can contact me at Meg, M-E-G at the eight And we will definitely discuss whatever you um, email us on our next podcast after we get it. All right. We hope you all have a great day and we will talk to you next month.